It is six o'clock, and so we are calling to order the April 27th, 2020 regular board meeting of the Shawnee Mission School District Board of Education. And the first item on the agenda is the Pledge of Allegiance. So we will say the pledge together. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty, liberty and, justice and justice for all. Moving on to item 1.3 is the adoption of the agenda. I'll seek a motion to adopt the agenda for this evening. So moved. Mrs. Okay. Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Do I have a second? I'll second. Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, it passes seven zero. Moving on to one four approval of the minutes for special meeting April 13th, 2020. I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved. Is that Dr. Sinclair? Thank you. Second. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Are there any opposed? No. Passes unanimously. Moving to one five approval of the minutes for the regular board meeting April 13th, 2020. Seek a motion. So moved. Goodburn. Thank, Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Is there a second? Hembry second. Thank you, Ms. Hembry. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Are there any opposed? <coughs> Hearing none, 7-0. Um, and then moving on to the approval of the minutes, item 1.6, the special meeting for April 23rd, 2020. I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved, Dr. Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Is there a second? Second, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? None. Okay, that's seven zero as well. And that kicks it over to Dr. Fulton for the superintendent report. Okay, well, good evening, everyone. Great to see you. And uh, we're off to another uh, wonderful week of learning here with our continuous learning process. So I wanna start off with that. You know, we're halfway through this final quarter of the year. I know it's hard to imagine. And one thing, of course, that looks incredibly different than any of us could have imagined is the way in which learning has taken place. So I want to take a moment to talk with you about where we are uh, several weeks into continuous learning. Our staff have done an absolutely fantastic job of working with our students and parents to uh, continue making sure that children are engaged in learning. Uh, we're currently in the process of gathering feedback through Thought exchange uh, from students, parents, and staff. That that initial uh, push out is actually concluded, and uh, I'll be talking about that a little bit more later on in the um, in the program. Through this feedback, we already know that responders have placed high value on having regular interactions with each other, and we're going to hear more later in this meeting about continuous learning and the academic work that is taking place, along with some of the social emotional. I also want to continue to encourage all of us to check in on and take care of one another. I also ask that you continue to have patience. Now, this is really a seismic event that we're going through as a community, as a nation, and as a world, and all of us deserve a measure of grace as we work to get better together in this process. We also want to express our deep gratitude for those that are taking care of those essential things that allow life to continue for the rest of us. To everyone who works in Central options. We see you and the contributions that you make to our community, and we are really deeply grateful. 
then finally, on continuous learning, I want to thank everyone for your patience on field use. You know, we tried really hard to keep fields open. And I want to thank all the people who did follow the guidelines. Unfortunately, we had a small, a number of small and large groups who did not follow the guidelines, and thus for now, our fields are closed. We're going to monitor it and adjust as conditions permit, and we'll make sure and communicate any change in status to our community. Well, we have some very exciting news. As you know, uh, I'm pleased to share with you that all of our short emission high schools have been included, been included on this year's list of best high schools published by U.S. News & World Report. Shawnee Mission East, Shawnee Mission North, Northwest, South, and West are all ranked among the top schools in Kansas and the nation. Shawnee Mission East, Shawnee Mission South, and Shawnee Mission Northwest were ranked among the top 25 in Kansas, with Shawnee Mission East named as the highest ranked non-selective school in the state. We continue our work to build upon the success to create an even better future for each of our students. I just want to congratulate those high schools and all the schools that feed into them because it certainly is a team effort. One of the biggest and most important questions to arise in light of school closure is how we will recognize the class of 2020. These deserving students receive letters from their principals outlining graduation plans graded in light of stay-at-home orders. Principals gather feedback from students, parents, and staff leadership groups regarding graduation. And uh, using the feedback from the community and guidance from the governor's office, we have developed two plans for graduation. It's very important to note that any final decision about gatherings large enough to schedule in-person graduations will be made based on guidance from federal, state, and local authorities. In-person graduations are tentatively scheduled for July. Dates are posted on the district website. And virtual ceremonies are also being created to honor graduates. <coughs> we want to congratulate Emmett Lelja-Green, a junior at Shawnee Mission East High School, who earned a perfect composite score on the ACT exam. Lelja-Green is engaged in orchestra, theater, share, and teach a sign language at American Sign Language Club. After high school, uh, Emmett would like to study biochemistry or neuroscience and then attend medical school. Less than one-tenth of one percent of all test takers earn a perfect composite score on the ACT exam. So congratulations, Emmett. We're also pleased to share with you that two Shawnee Mission School District educators have been selected as this year's nominees in the Kansas Teacher of the Year program. Shawnee Mission's Kansas Teacher of the Year nominees are Crystal Brower, a kindergarten teacher at Shawano Elementary School, and Natalie Johnson Berry, English language arts teacher at Shawnee Mission North. Students teachers, parents, and community members first nominated teachers for consideration. Each school in the district was given an opportunity to nominate a candidate to apply for consideration. A committee of Shawnee Mission educators selected the district nominees. The Kansas State Department of Education asked each school district in the state to nominate one elementary and one secondary classroom teacher 
for Kansas Teacher of the Year. Congratulations to both of these awardees, and we'll look forward to their next steps in the process. Well, instead of meeting in person, parents of the 2021 kindergarten, kindergarten eligible students age five on or before August 31st, 2020, are being asked to complete an initial kindergarten enrollment form. This information will establish a student count and assist with preparations for the upcoming year. Enrollment is also taking place online for pre-kindergarten, which is our students who are age four on or before August 31st. We encourage our community to share this information with anyone who has children at these age levels. And we look forward to welcoming these students to Shawnee Mission School District. We'll include links for enrollment in the board recap. May 2020 is the 58th year of the Research and Development, or R&D, Forum. To honor the innovative spirit that first fueled the R&D Forum, and keeping in mind our new continuous learning from home model, we are launching a virtual R&D Forum this spring. As in past years, we invite students and families to engage in activities that support science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, also known as STEAM, activities. This year, we are calling on our SMSD community to share and showcase any STEAM-related activities students are creating at home by posting on Twitter under the hashtag, hashtag SMSDRD. Our sincere appreciation goes to the Rainier family for 58 years of generous support for the Shawnee Mission School District R&D Forum. And then finally, I mentioned earlier our deep gratitude for those who are taking care of essential things to allow life to continue for the rest of us. I wanted to mention that May 1st is lunch, uh, School Lunch Hero Day. When school is open, our food service workers serve more than 2.9 million meals during the school year. Certainly, they have played a tremendous role in serving our children while buildings are closed through the Pick Up and Go Meal Program. Through last week, they have served 91,628 meals. Nancy Kokenauer, Director of Food Services, said, we are in such an incredible time for the nation, and I'm proud for our food service employees who are willing to step up and prepare these meals for families. It truly shows the wonderful giving hearts of food service employees who come to work each day with a smile and a loving heart for all children. And I think that's very well said by Nancy. I hope our community will join me in thanking our school lunch heroes. There are so many good things going on right now, even if it's in the uh, somewhat virtual world. Again, I just want to thank all of our Shawnee Mission community, parents, staff, students for the wonderful job that they're doing. And that concludes my report. Thank you, Dr. Fulton. We'll be moving on to board reports. Um, we'll start with Ms. Borgman. Do you have a report from SMAC PTA this evening? Nothing new, thank you. Thank you. Um, from the Education Foundation, Ms. Hembry, do you have a report? Um, the only thing is just to continue contributing to the CARES Fund if people are able. That's really one of our best ways to support our community right now. Thank you. Um, and then KASB Board of Directors, Reverend Guy, do you have a report for us? Just that KASB is now offering on Wednesdays a lunch and learn opportunity online, of course, from 
12 to 12.45. So this is an ongoing opportunity every Wednesday. Any board member can, um, they ask you to pre-register so they can send out the link to you and you'll have an opportunity to ask questions and hear what's going on in other districts around the state and learn from the KASB um, folks there about things they're seeing. So anytime you are available on Wednesday from 12 to 12.45, I encourage you to, to jump on and participate in that. That's all. Thank you. Um, Dr. Sinclair, do you have a legislative liaison update for us? I don't, and I will defer to, uh, rather uh, defer to Dr. Little for his legislative update later in the meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Ms. Goodburn with the Policy Review Committee, do you have an update for us this evening? Um, we have item 5.01 for you tonight, pol uh, revised board policy JA for your consideration later in the meeting. Thank you. And then finally, the Finance and Facilities Committee just met for the first time. Um, so Mr. Stratton, I believe you are the chair of that committee. Will you give us a report? Yes, be glad to. We uh, were able to convene over the video last uh, week and we had a two-hour meeting. The committee uh, gathered for the first time and we spent the two hours, uh, spent a few minutes getting to know each other and then uh, Russ Knapp began the process of bringing us all up to speed on the process to develop the annual budget for the school district. And we talked about the timeline, which is fast approaching already for the next uh, school year. Uh, we will be meeting again tomorrow uh, at two o'clock and um, all are welcome to sit in and view the meeting. It'll be available on the live stream. And uh, we will continue the conversation about our annual operating fund, annual budget process, and then we'll transition over to the capital projects timeline and begin to talk about that as well. And I'll turn to Dr. Sinclair if you want to add anything as one of my partners on this committee. The, uh, thank you, um, Mr. Stratton. The piece I'd like to add to that is the committee members were tasked with helping us uh, facilitate a shared community understanding around school finance and the district budget. And so as Mr. Knapp was going through um, a kind of school finance overview, the task of the committee was to help identify what are those common questions and points maybe of um, uh, that need clarification across our community to help us get to that level of common understanding. So I look forward to working with the committee, continuing to identify those questions, those key questions, and then brainstorming ways in which we can help answer that and um, continue to share more information with our community. Thank you both. Thank you. Looks like we're turning to item 2.3, the board financial report. I think uh, Dr. Fulton, do you want to introduce Mr. Knapp? Maybe Dr. Fulton is not there, so I will introduce, I think Mr. Knapp is giving us this presentation this evening. Yes, well, good evening. I've got two items on uh, for board financial reports. The first one is our normal uh, financial reports through the month of March. Um, so what that means is a lot of the, the expenses that you see on the financial report are actually services that are performed through February, March. So we're still is still reflecting kind of the pre-COVID time period. Um, so from here on out, April, May, June, um, we'll start getting invoices for those services. So we'll see how our utilities, 
if we have some more additional savings due to the buildings being closed down, which I would anticipate. Um, as you remember from prior months, our student transportation and our utilities were tracking well under budget. So we'll see if we can add to that for the remaining three months. Um, that's all I had on the financial report. So I'll pause there to see if you do have any questions on the financial report. Okay, so, so this next slide, um, there you go. Thank you, Drew. Um, we wanted to, you're probably already well aware of the numbers um, that the consensus revenue estimate group has come out with. And that's the group that estimates or puts an estimate to the Kansas state revenues in November and in April. So they do it twice a year. Uh, the, the state legislators use that to develop the state budget. So they most recently met April 20th and they came out and said um, that with their new estimates that for fiscal year 20, which we have three months to go, they're gonna lose $826 million. And then for fiscal year 21, they anticipated losing 445 million for a total of $1.3 billion from this point through June 30th of 2021. And so we just kind of wanted to um, kind of give you an understanding of why we keep saying balances are important. Uh, at the state level, they anticipated having ending balances of $926 million or 12.2% of their total general fund operating expenses. Um, after the consensus revenue group met, now they're estimating at 205 million down at 2.7. So as you can see, they had some pretty, if the state of Kansas has finally worked themselves into having some pretty healthy balances. And when you face with such an emergency, uh, what COVID brought us, um, those balances came in extremely handy to get through the end of this fiscal year. Now, fiscal year 21 is a little bit different story. They're anticipating a negative $653 million balance at the end of June 30th or negative 8.1% of their balance. So the state has some huge challenges to face in balancing their budget as it is unconstitutional to spend um, to go below zero. Um, next slide, Drew. And so to put it in this perspective for the uh, Shiny Mission School District, we began fiscal year 20 at 18.8 million. And that's a combination of our general operating balances plus our contingency reserve of 5.6 million to total 18.8. That's 5.5% of our general operating uh, fund expenditures. Um, we always like to say that we like to, our target is to have one month's worth or 8.33%, and that would put us at $20.2 million. And this would be a good example of why you need those balances that um, if emergencies arise like that, we can still operate um, hopefully as normal as we possibly can. All, but more importantly, it also adds to our cash flow to get from one month to the next month to make those payrolls. Um, to make our, our uh, monthly contractual obligations. Um, so that's why we stress um, the importance of having a balance is, and this is, this is living out right in front of us. And I'll pause there for, for any questions. I have a question. Yeah, I do. I'll go after uh, you. Uh, I can defer to you, Dr. Sinclair. Um, go right ahead. I can wait till the end. I'll ask everybody else as well. Okay, thanks. Um, so 
Um, Mr. Knapp, so if, if I'm looking at the monthly board financial report under um, revenues, the supported revenues, um, I'm expecting that the, so right now for this school year, it, you know, we have 62 million in our um, raised through our LOB and we have 180 million from state revenue. So are, should I assume that those numbers will stay the same for this fiscal year, but next fiscal year starting July 1, both of those numbers could be reduced by five to 10 percent, something like that. I mean, that's where I mean, not, I, I shouldn't ask you a, per, a particular percentage, but that's where we would see a potential reduction if if the state revenues. Are yes, that's correct. So for fiscal year for fiscal year 20, mm -hmm. um, we will receive all our general state aid as of now, unless okay. there's something that changes at the state level. Uh, that was part of the the waiver that we agreed to that um, if you agree to those guidelines, then they'll continue to pay your general state aid. We will, we will get our, our local option uh, budget taxes uh, for fiscal year 20. Okay. Uh, the only the only area that we probably will see a decline is in the special education reimbursement, but that's also because we're going to have a decrease in our expenses because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a reimbursement. So you got a little less expenses, you're going to get a little less revenue. Um, but yes, to your point, it would be most likely fiscal year 21 next year um, where we'll see uh, any reductions in revenues. Okay, so it'll be in that second and third line under the monthly board financial report. Those revenues will be. Yeah, it'll be under lower. the yeah state revenue uh, is where it would be lower. Our LOB will be what it is, whatever when we when we uh, approve the right. budget in August. We'll get those in that local revenue. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Are there any other board members that have questions? I'm trying to see all your faces to see if anyone has a hand up. Okay. Hearing none, I'm going to ask my question. Um, I know we were going to receive some federal funds as part of the um, COVID relief package that was passed. Have we learned what the restrictions are with those dollars yet or when? Will we learn what those restrictions are? Um, the initial email from the state just came out this past Friday. They estimated that we would receive uh, $2.6 million in federal. Um, they used the Title I criteria to determine that dollar amount, but then they, they also had some additional guidelines on how that is to be spent. Um, it's it's seems like it's more driven towards um, COVID response type expenditures. So I'm not sure how how much leeway will it will provide us or usefulness will provide us to do our daily operating to cover our operating costs. Um, and I also deferred back to Dr. Fulton or Dr. Ata if they had any comments on that. Yeah, the uh, the guidelines are going to be released. We hope and. KSD is going to take all of the school district expenses are not allowed. We've been provided our allotment, but we still are going to need additional guidance on exactly how we can spend those dollars. You're breaking up just a little bit, Dr. Fulton, as an FII. Okay. I think I got from your Yeah, maybe so. 
Yes, if you could call in, that would be great so that we can have the, so we can hear you. So Heather, you were asking about the CARES Act. Is that, um, Russ, is that that 2.6 million that we're getting, is that part of the CARES Act? Um, I'm sorry, you broke up on me as well, Ms. Borgman. <laughs> um, the, we're getting it as a relief package, but it has to be directed to court code. I'm understanding Mr. Knapp correctly. Yeah, that's correct. That's all part of the federal government's CARE Act, the 2.6 million. And that all flows through the state. Mr. Timber, could I ask a, uh, just a brief question earlier? Mr. Knapp, you mentioned that um, Fed reimbursement is going down right now. And I, I'm sorry if you said this earlier, but is that on the staffing side or like how are, how is our, our Fed expenses are going down? How are our Fed expenses going down right now? It'd be our student transportation. We won't be running buses for April, May, part of June. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I was hoping to get Dr. Fulton back on so we could hear what he had to say, but Reverend Guy, you have a question? Yes, I'm just curious, um, is some of this federal money then helping us provide the, the meals that we're providing for students? You know, I, I, you know, I don't know how to answer that at this time because I'm not sure what the, the specific guidelines are. The, they were just preliminary, so we really haven't got the most specific what we can use that money for. So I'm not sure I can answer that at this time. So right now, our, what are we drawing from to pay for those meals? I think that's USDA funds, Reverend Guy. Okay. I'll let Dr. Fulton clarify if you heard that. I think I saw him back. Yes, those are federal funds for, through the USD program. It's called the summer lunch program is what uh, we get reimbursed from the feds on right. those meals that are served. That's correct. Does anyone have any further questions? Your access code or a meeting number followed by pound. Dr. Fulton, are you back on? I am back on, but uh, I'm still not by phone. So let's just keep going and Okay. If I can figure it out, then just let me know, and we're going to see if we get a phone connection going. Okay. So. Thank you. All right. Well, if there are no further questions for Mr. Knapp, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Yes, thank you. And we will move on to the legislative update. Um, Dr. Lewis, or Dr. Little is here with us this evening. Uh, thank you. Can you hear me okay, uh, uh, Chair Owsley? Yes, thank you. Okay. Great. Okay. Um, uh, good evening. Uh, I want to thank the board and Dr. Fulton, Dr. Atha, and, and uh, David Smith for uh, the uh, communication during this period. I'm going to, you have a written report from me. It should be posted online, uh, if not now, uh, by tomorrow. And I'm going to talk a bit about some of the uh, uh, dealing with some of the kind of uncertainty and issues that are big picture, but also how they're going to relate to K 12 education. That are happening in Topeka right now. Um, I'll be happy to answer any questions. I'm going to hit the highlights. Be respectful of your time and can dive in deeper whenever uh, you have any specific questions. Um, Russ mentioned first of all, I'd talk a couple of the events that just happened within the last week. The uh, consensus revenue estimates. Uh, Mr. Knapp did a fine job of explaining what essentially we have looking over two years is a 60, 650 million dollar budget hole that will have to be fixed somehow. A uh, couple things that I would mention just uh, off of that in particular uh, on the negative side, this does not 
these revenue estimates also do not include local city and county sales tax uh, fall off. That's a big portion of, of, of what the state is losing in revenue. And so, for example, our local uh, city and county uh, sales tax portions are not included in that, that amount as well. And as we know, those being impacted in the same way that the state is, the local governments are making, having to make those, some of those same kind of choices. Um, we will get new revenue estimates in November. By November, there is a sense of we'll have some idea of the scope and scale of how the economy is opening back up again. Um, we likely will resolve some of the issues about how federal dollars can be spent, particularly upcoming dollars, and how they may fill a budget hole going forward. Um, so this is we're going to kind of move along here through the November to get to the next round of estimates and see what's going on. Of course, the situation could be not, not have improved, but if it is, we'll get another snapshot in six months. Um, the legislative uh, coordinating council, the leadership of the legislature met last week as well and made the determination that to not begin the, the wrap-up legislative session today, when, she, when it was supposed to begin, sometime before the 6th of May, they will return and make a decision about when the legislature will reconvene. So they're going to need to reconvene sometime after the Legislative Coordinating Council makes a decision, and they'll have until um, May the 21st, which is signy die, the last day of the legislative session. So they're going to have a fairly narrow window but they, they will, the certainly seemed like the consensus of the LCC uh, and the budget committees that met on Thursday and Friday are that they will be coming back. We're either going to have a short session that's going to be focused on relief, on uh, managing this crisis, managing revenue, making some decisions about budgets, perhaps, those kinds of things. And so the legislature may come back for a short amount of time. They may come back for a lengthy amount of time, which means We'll get a big, broad discussion of a whole bunch of issues and policy issues that are still out there. I don't think that's likely the sense of, of what the conversations have been is that it should be focused and brief, but we'll, that those aren't decisions any of us make. So we'll see how that plays out and what happens. But the legislature certainly very likely will be back sometime after May 6th, but before May 21st. Also important to keep in mind, they may be back for a special session at some point after they adjourn. The, if there are uh, budget, finance, policy, uh, any of those kinds of issues, they likely could be back for a special session as well. I would point out another highlight from last week, very briefly, the budget committees, Ways and Means and Appropriations met and spent some time talking about uh, COVID response, about the budget, got some information about uh, what the state is doing with the federal funds uh, and we're going to kind of get into whether we have a wrap-up session or not. We're going to, as we get into the next fiscal year, which begins July 1 of this year and goes for the next year, that's where our $650 million hole will be. We'll get through this current fiscal year fine, but then we're going to have issues getting into the next year. So we may have a special session. The governor, as of July 1, the governor will have some very specific uh, allotment authorities or her ability to make budget adjustments to the state general fund. Uh, when the state's ending balance is below zero, well, after July 1, the state's ending balance is going to be below zero and still have some authority to do uh, what she uh, may need to do to manage some of the federal funds and some of the state general fund issues. So, um, in terms, so those were three big things that happened last week. I want to hit just a couple of the education related highlights and just mention we've already had a brief conversation about the CARES Act and the $84 million out of the 1.25 billion that the state received, 
84 million of that. Uh, Mr. Knapp described that going to Title I schools and our portion of that. Uh, I would also mention that there is a pretty broad based effort among the Kansas Association of School Board superintendents folks are appealing to the federal government to have a specific education focused relief package coming down that does things like broadband access as a big issue uh, in particularly in a rural state like ours, a significant amount, <clears throat> excuse me, about $175 billion for uh, to fill the revenue hole that may be received, but also to deal with some of the crisis related costs. So there are some folks doing uh, some advocacy to get a, a broad based fed, new federal policy just for education. I think the biggest issue that's looming out there that I'm fielding questions about is what is the impact of this budget situation on resolution of the Gannon lawsuit? We are currently going into the, the last two years of the four year final agreement that will bring state funding back to what was the safe harbor, as we described it in the Montoy decision. And the, the legislature did approve when they left $137 million to fund that, that, that year of the Gannon resolution. The state Supreme Court has retained jurisdiction over the lawsuit to oversee the final four years of payments going out to school districts. And the question kind of arises, what does this mean when the state gets into a, a financial crisis? And I think uh, uh, the scale of the, the, the situation that we're in right now is probably larger than than uh, the 2008-2009 recession. And so the impacts are going to be huge. We're talking about $650 million that's going to have to be dealt with. <clears throat> so the legislature and the governor are going to have to make some decisions about whether any budget adjustments would include any reductions to K-12 education. Um, the governor last week was asked about that. She's very clearly stated for the record that that uh, funding K-12 is an important part of what she uh, needs to maintain, but she also acknowledged that there are gonna be some very uh, careful balancing that needs to be uh, done in the next year, next 18 months. Uh, and those those K-12 through costs are gonna be weighed against uh, policymakers and the governor will be weighing those compared to all of the other issues. Um, I would also note in my written report, I talked about some of the things that are that have been done uh, with K-12 kind of laying the groundwork for distance learning and, and those types of issues. Um, a couple of things I would mention about that. I think there's lots of questions that I think you all are grappling with as well. Everybody here is the state level is as well. How does this, how may this translate into what happens and what unfolds in the fall? Uh, I would, um, uh, would would note that one thing that we're watching in the big picture, and if you go through parts of the report and the, looking at some of the state level issues, the governor's executive order uh, with regard to uh, mass gatherings and social distancing uh, was renewed through May 3rd. That is set to uh, expire. And at, within the, um, the next week, the governor's begin to unveil what her kind of rollout for social gatherings, business, those kinds of things will have an impact. What, what is going to happen of note is that uh, local counties are still going to retain their authority and ability to have a wide range of powers through their public health department and county government to, to regulate social gathering and social distancing. In fact, even will have the authority to close schools again 
as we kind of did as we moved in. So the local county government's going to have a tremendous amount of authority even after the governor's statewide executive order goes away. Um, I think in the big picture, the uh, from the state's perspective, this is the last thing I'll maybe maybe mention here is none of the revenue that's coming from the federal government through the CARES Act, the Paycheck Protection Program, those types of programs that have come through can be used to fill revenue holes. And so the $84 million that came to K-12, which was part of the, the CARES Act, has to be used. And I know that we're waiting on guidance, but the way it's been talked about is it has to be used for uh, at the higher ed and at K-12 level for uh, students dealing with the impact of of COVID-19 and the impacts it has on their life, not to fill budget holes. And so the the issue that the state is looking at now, and it has a lot to have impact on how funding for K-12 may exist, is the extent to which there will be something that will be a revenue filling source. For example, those of you will recall in 2008 and 9, we had federal funds that came to Kansas called ARA funds, the American Recovery and Restoration Act that plug those revenue holes when revenue declined. That's what the governor and folks are advocating with Congress and the president now to do is now at this point, we, we have some sense of the scale of lost revenue that has an impact on the state and has an impact what we can do for K-12. Last point I will mention, the second half of your list of all of the legislation and policy issues that were left unresolved when the legislature adjourned. Um, if they come back for a long time, we may have a conversation about some of the policy issues. Some of them are, I've listed all of them in there. Some of them were bundled together. We do have uh, a couple of uh, bills that we oppose with regard to uh, having the, the, some of the uh, non-public school programs and, and expansion of those programs that are in a house on the house floor. So we're keeping an eye on that. I do not anticipate, unless the legislature comes back for a lengthy amount of time, that we're going to have much of a policy discussion about education issues. It's we're, I think we're going to be focused on some tax policy, on recovery, on uh, budget fixes and those kinds of things. So I'm, I don't see us diving in deep into education policy stuff. The last thing I would mention is that all of these bills will die when the legislative session ends as we're into the two year cycle. And if there is a special legislative session that is called at any point this summer or fall, None of the bills that are alive this session are eligible for action. A bill would have to start all over again. So uh, that that's just something to keep in mind. I'm happy to answer any questions that you all might have. Okay, I think I'll run through the list of names to make sure I don't miss anyone. Um, Reverend Guy, do you have any questions? No questions, thank you. Thank you. Mr. Stratton, do you have any questions this evening? Yeah, one quick question. Um, the role the Supreme Court plays in the Gannon um, oversight, is it typically only in response to a budget that's passed? And, and do they ever provide guidance as the legislature is looking to tweak or rebuild the budget? Oh, interesting question. I, I don't know. I'm not an attorney, but I don't, I, I, so I probably shouldn't venture to guess, but it would seem unusual to have some kind of preemptive uh, uh, action or statement from them, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if the plaintiffs attempt to get some, some, uh, some feedback or some input on that process. But I think as a rule, they have tended to be responsive to what, and in deference to the legislature and the governor's 
ability to make some of those decisions to wait and see what they might generate. And my other quick question, and it's a crystal ball one, is there any murmur of any uh, revenue enhancement, that other word for tax increase that's being talked about to fill some of these holes? Well, there is actually one of the pieces of legislation that was uh, a couple of odds and ends that were, were put together in some bills that any of anybody that's filling their time watching uh, Netflix, for example, or Disney Plus, we do not have a tax on that right now. And that's being considered for uh, in addition to the the uh, the online sales. And so all of the stuff that's getting delivered uh, a poor after the way uh, U.S. decision on the ability to collect uh, sales tax from from mail order companies and then also for internet services. There are a couple of bills that had been making their way through the process. If we come back to town and talk about tax policy, those two bills will pass because that's a revenue stream that we have uh, have uh, not been able to, to tap into. But given the way we're all living our lives now, that is a, uh, that, well, that likely would very strongly happen. Thank you. Um, Dr. Sinclair, do you have any questions? Um, I do. I was thank you for the update, Dr. Little. I wanted to circle back to the 1.25 billion and governor's conversations with um, uh, the um, the president's office about flex and Congress about flexibility of use of those dollars beyond um, a COVID response. Uh, so. One of the conversations has been, can that, those dollars be used with more flexibility to supplant? So I'm just trying to get a sense of scale of the 1.25 billion. If there were flexibility and uh, granted for states to use those dollars, would that be kind of equal to what um, Kansas received um, following the Great Recession? Or would that dollar amount be closer if there were another round of dollars that were allocated to states for supplanting the loss in revenue? Does that I, make sense? Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I, I would hesitate, and they're not, I, do, I do not believe they're going to be, the, the, the federal government is going to change the guidelines for the CARES Act. I think it's gonna to have to be something new and additional coming out. Uh, uh, a fourth package, I think, as people are describing it, potentially. Um, and I, I do not know off the top of my head how much ARA money we received in the the late aughts, but uh, it was substantial. We used a lot of it to to build up, uh, and it was hundreds of millions of dollars. But I don't know exactly how much. But and that was specifically targeted for that. And I, I don't see the care. I was the CARES Act is already those dollars are already flowing out to to folks, and so I don't see a repurposing of that, it'd have to be something new. All right. It's just, right, so if we, you know, our state general fund is, half of our state general fund goes to public education, and so when that gets diminished, it, as yeah. we all know, education takes a big hit. So, thank you. Ms. Goodburn, do you have any questions? No, I just want to thank Dr. Little for his report. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Hembry, do you have any questions? I have just one, and I feel like it's a new board member question, so I'm sorry because folks will know this right off the top of their head, but I'm remembering a piece of the Gannon decision decided that our new funding in the coming years would in some way be tied to CPI or inflation. Am I 
remembering this correctly? Can someone help? Because I'm wondering when what the inflationary impacts of all of this is going to be in the next couple of years and how that's going to impact our funding as well. Well, this is Stuart. I'd welcome anybody else that wants to jump in this. But by recollection, I believe the CPI kicks in after the fourth year of the of the inf the phasing in the inflationary funding over those four years. What was agreed to when that ends, we begin the CPI rate as the the driver for an automatic cost increase. And so that won't kick in for another two years. And we're probably lucky. We may get uh, have uh, inflation back up where it needs to be by uh, two years from now. Okay, very helpful. Thank you, um, Ms. Portman. Do you have any questions? Oh, just really quick. Um, thank you, Director Little, so much for that excellent report. I appreciate it. With the CARES Act, that two point six million. Um, did you say that some states and some districts have already received that money? Well, I don't know about school. There's um, a, about 350 million of it is for um, health care providers and that that money's going out. I know there have been uh, the higher eds getting about one hundred and twenty million dollars. And I think some of that's beginning to flow or is in the process. So I don't know that that we've to the extent. I think most folks are, are roughly in the same situation we're in within the last week or, or, or week and a half, guidance from the federal government has come down in terms of what you can do with that. And then the dollars are starting to go out. I believe Johnson and Sedgwick County is the two uh, local government entities over half a million in population have received their money, I believe. I think Johnson County's getting like 110 million and Sedgwick's getting 100 million. So it's just now going out. I don't, that doesn't mean a you know, check's landed for our portion of the the, ed, the K-12 stuff, yeah. And thanks for the um, great clarification on and how um, that we will be protected for this fiscal year, um, but next it could look different. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, they, they, I wouldn't be surprised if we come back and do some budget. They may try to trim up the budget a little bit to save a little more money to carry. That means there's just less to deal with next year. But I don't know what that looks like. The governor, the governor presented a governor's budget amendment to the budget committees uh, last week. Uh, Larry Campbell, the budget director, and he said, I've got two more on the way. So there are some budget changes being made uh, as we speak. So. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, and I'll ask my follow up. Dr. Little, do you know, did they put any um, anticipation into whether or not the CRE included forecasts for a second or third wave and how that would impact um, state revenue? Or is this just based off of the economic activity that's occurred during this, the first wave? Uh, you know, um, Chris Courtright, who's the economist for the state and is on the consensus revenue group, told the budget committees on Friday that they had looked at and considered a variety of whether we're gonna have a W or a V or an L-shaped recovery uh, and what that would look like. And he uh, he said that in their discussions, I'm kind of going from memory here, here but he did articulate that there was some anticipation that there would be a second wave at some point, either in the fall or in the, in the spring, sometime over that period. Uh, I, I don't know to the extent that that had an impact on uh, their financial calculations, but that was something that he did say they had conversations about. 
I guess what I'm asking is, could it get worse or are we dealing with what they believe to be like the worst case scenario with the revenue? Well, I think a um, couple of things. I think a lot of, uh, there's going to be a lot of dynamics, particularly because the large numbers of people on unemployment insurance, the demands that are going to be made on the social system and the social services system capacity to address that number of people with a, probably a fairly high level of need, um, that there will likely be a uh, um, couple things that were uh, considered that he described as well. For example, car sales are way down, obviously, because no one's out going around shopping, but to what extent will large uh, durable per purchases be delayed for a while as everybody tries to see how things are are playing out. And then I think last at, in that calculation, I believe the same afternoon that the consensus revenue estimators were estimating uh, state income was the same after, afternoon that the price of oil uh, plummeted. And I'm not even sure that that got factored into the calculations in terms of what, how much uh, oil and gas revenue may be lost because of what's happened with the global slowdown and the impact. So um, I'm, I've, I, I'm, I'm hoping to be optimistic, but I, I think, and Chris said this to the budget committees as well, you know, we're going to have to see how we roll out of this thing in July, August, see if schools start back up, folks go back to college, those kind of things. We'll see how things are looking. So. Thank you. Sorry, I asked you to have a crystal ball. <laughs> no, that's, um, well, that's what we're all doing these days, trying to figure this out, I know. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, does anyone have any final questions before we move on? Hey, hearing none. Thank you, Dr. Little. Thank you. Uh, Good luck. We may need it. All right, so moving on to uh, 2.5. This is the approval to suspend board policy BCBI public participation for the April 27th Board of Education meeting. So this is for tonight's board meeting. There had been some confusion on what was posted with the agenda, um, and that had been changed but not updated to the board doc. So what we're doing for this evening is suspending public comment. Um, we will continue to do our best to make sure you can follow the discussion during the meeting. Um, board members are announcing their name or I will introduce their name, uh, make sure it's clear who's speaking. Um, we'll clearly state the motion prior to each vote. We will uh, roll call each vote or make sure it's identified that it's been unanimous so listeners will hear each board member clearly. Um, with regard to the agenda materials discussed during the meeting, those can be accessed on the district website. And for some additional information, um, we are still continuing to look at opening up public comment. Um, but IT has been tech support for our 27,000 students. And so it is likely that we will not be able to get this up and running for public comment until probably the beginning of June, which may or may not, if we're lucky, be when we're also able to return to in-person public meetings. So if we are not able to return to in-person public meetings, IT should be able to get this up and going for us, hopefully, um, looking at June. So with that being said, I will make a motion to seek approval for 2.05 to suspend um, board policy BCBI for this evening's meeting. Second. Well, I, I need the motion first, Mr. Stratton. Oh, uh, motion. <laughs> Sinclair. Sorry, <laughs> thank you, Dr. Sinclair. And so now Brad, do you wanna make that second? I'll have the second. 
Thank you. Um, all those in favor, please say aye. Aye. Is there any opposed? Please say nay. Nay. Ms. Embry, was that your nay? That was me, yep. Okay, so that's six to one. Um, motion passes. And we're moving on to discussion items uh, 3.1, the continuous learning update. Ms. Owsley, can I just ask for clarification? Yes. Regarding that kind of discussion on that last vote, just a moment. Yes. Or did I miss that window? No, go right ahead. Okay. So um, in your explanation, um, part of the issue is that with our tech support, um, the demands for around issues of VPN for students and staff are really kind of consuming all of our tech support needs. So the idea would be once school is concluded that in starting in June, then those folks would look to trying to find, so they would direct their attention to finding a different, finding an option that would allow public comment. So it might not be June, but they'd be shifting their energies to trying to figure something out at that point. Yes, and I'm sorry, my connection is breaking up. So I, I think I heard everything that you said. Okay. Um, well, it's my understanding that everyone is pretty focused on making sure our infrastructure is working to deliver learning. We have um, looked at some other models that are by other municipalities, um, but right now we're looking to figure out what's a workable solution and hoping to turn to that next month. So the goal is to have public comment and to return to that, it's a logistical challenge that we're experiencing right now. Really, that's kind of getting in our way. Yes. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And I'm hopefully, can you hear me at this point? Uh -huh. Am I yes. coming in? Okay, good. Yeah, we'll work, we'll work diligently to find solutions to public comment. Uh, at the moment, uh, a number of the Johnson County districts are not engaged in public comment, and it's not a matter of not wanting to, it's, it's, it's a function of being able to logistically pull it off. Uh, and we've got a lot coming at us right now. So we're trying to get the essential things done. That is essential as well. I understand that. But that's, um, that's our goal to get it up and running, but we need just a little bit more time to figure it out. And I hopefully we'll be, begin to come back at least uh, at partial in-person meetings, if not in whole before too long. That would be very helpful. But we'll we'll work on a solution. Ms. Okay. Yes, Ms. Borgman. Um, I, I appreciate Jessica's dissenting vote um, and I understand where she's coming from. I know that um, you know this is a special district in that, you know, our community members really feel like they um, have a stake and ownership in our district and they want that opportunity to, you know, have a voice, um, a public voice. And um, I guess my question is, I appreciate the fact that we are putting our priorities to kids and helping to make sure that kids have every opportunity to learn from home. Um, and I know that, you know, the IT team has done a phenomenal job of of you know working to ensure that all children have that you know capacity and ability to learn from home i'm just wondering um you know are there some other ways you know you and i had discussed possibly looking at a model like the city of shawnee where people could go to 
um, the CAA and make a comment there or something. I just am wondering if there's a little workaround um, that we could perhaps look into, um, you know, for the time being that would not, you know, put such a strain and a burden on the IT department, but would also give our community an opportunity to, you know, have a public voice. Yeah, and I will bat that over to Dr. Fulton if he can respond to that. I can respond to it in part. All I can say is this, we've, we, we will do our best to get the public comment as quickly as we can. I'll tell you right now, uh, our time is consumed, not just with dealing with the moment of, of what we're dealing with right now, uh, the challenge of working remotely across all staff members, but also we're trying to build contingencies for what happens in the fall. So we've got a lot on our plate in terms of trying to just get the basics done so we're not dropping the ball on uh, on the learning side of it, both now and going forward. So we'll talk about it as a team and see what we can put together in ways that are reasonable, maintain personal distancing that's safe, and allow us to do this in a and, uh, relatively efficient way. Uh, I don't, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. But and Jessica, I do, I appreciate your sentiment to, I just wanted. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I just think hearkening to the earlier conversation about this maybe being a W and a second wave and a third wave, it's time well spent to invest in an opportunity to receive public comment. And it's time that, you know, if we have snow days that we have to do virtual board meetings, I just don't want us to get so close to a point where we're saying it's June and this will all be over soon and maybe we don't need to develop a strategy for this. I just think it's, it's worth investing in um, a solution for this now. Okay. Well, I, I can I can explore options that are doable by our team. I'll do my very best. Thank you. Were there any other comments? Okay, I'm sorry, my feed is breaking up pretty bad, so I'm having a little bit of trouble um, hearing everybody. <laughs> but thank you everyone for your comments. Um, I know I had looked at some of the models and I do like um, how this has their setup, but um, I'm also hopeful that uh, we will have our attention on this soon, and I know that we don't want to keep pushing it off, but yeah, hopefully by June, we're either going to have the public comment situation addressed or we'll be back in person with in-person meetings. That might be overly optimistic to think that we'll be back in person, but we'll continue to vote on this issue at each meeting so we can continue to have the discussion each at each meeting. Okay, so I think I will move on to 3.1, the continuous learning update. Yes, um, well, first of all, thank you for uh, for your work as a board. You know, it's difficult, as we know, we're, we're having challenges tonight with technology and we'll speak to that a little bit um, during the course of this presentation. And if I can, um, I think I can see the slideshow, okay. Let's go on to the next slide, please. All right, I'm only getting part of this slide, so um, let me adjust my screen just a little bit here, okay? Then stay right with you. Um, as you know, our focus is on students and their learning. And we've made an absolute commitment to making sure that every child has a personalized learning plan that prepares them to be college and career ready and ensures you have the interpersonal skills they need uh, for life success. 
That is easy to say. It is a challenge to meet, especially when you talk about 27,000 children, each with their own unique needs. And as we're seeing in this time right now, the idea of designing instruction so it's customized to meet the needs of every child is, is, uh, is a challenge worth undertaking, but it's a challenge nonetheless. And so uh, we've, set a, we've set an achievable goal, but it's one that's going to take time to realize for each one of our children. Next slide, please. Um, you know, we built, we built this, uh, this, this, these objectives, uh, we've built around them five important uh, areas of, of focus. Uh, and it all involves people. Yes, it also involves facilities. Those are important. We have a group that's working on that right now. And it certainly also speaks to systems and culture. All of that is needed to get to the learning process. And, um, and I'm having, you have to bear with me here. I'm having a little bit of a problem. All of that involves us looking at time, structure, and the instructional strategies that we use. Who would have known a month or two ago that we would be using time very differently than, than uh, the way that we did then? The structure has completely changed. And so too are our instructional strategies. There's a lot of learning that takes place. And uh, we're, we're doing it with success. I would say that everyone would like for things to be different. But we are learning new skill sets, all of us. And uh, as a result, when you get into a lot of new learning, it takes a tremendous amount of time. Uh, just the challenge of running a meeting like this with the inconsistency of what we're all experiencing, myself included, on our home networks and connectivity makes things tough. And we're dealing with that every day, all day long, as I know the world is, as they're trying to juggle work and uh, helping their kids with school. It's, it's rather a daunting challenge for everybody. Next slide, please. So when we developed our continuous learning plan with the state, we really focused on making sure that we were, uh, we focused on these three objectives. We wanted to make sure and focus on the priority standards. Now, what are priority standards? Priority standards are, is that learning that is foundational to a child's future success. And those priority standards build on each other year after year. So there are mathematical concepts, uh, applications and language, and so on, that are absolutely foundational to college and career readiness. The priority standards are those foundational building blocks that matter most. We focused on those priority standards because you can't do everything in the same way when you're not meeting face-to-face -face with students. The challenge that school districts across the country are going to face next year is, are we going to go back into school as things existed in the past? Are we going to go into a hybrid model with some online and some at home? Are we going to go entirely online? No one knows the answer to that yet. And we also don't know whether that's going to sustain throughout the entire school year. That's why it's really important for us to get focused, have absolute laser-like focus on the priority standards, to 
because those are the things we must do in order to make sure our children are ready for their future. And then as we go through this, we get an opportunity to really work with children on a notion of learning matters. It matters for them personally. And to the greatest extent that they can really engage in meaningful learning, get feedback on a timely basis, and continue uh, that continuous learning loop for them, uh, the better off they will be. So lots of heavy lifting, not just this spring, but as we design what next year looks like. Next slide, please. We have uh, committed, not just through the continuous learning plan, but when we developed our strategic plan and adopted it as a board, as a community, to make sure that we went into a continuous improvement mode. At the last board meeting, I talked about the fact that we were going to engage in some surveys, uh, thought, some thought exchanges, and potentially the use of focus groups as needed to address some of these core issues around getting better at continuous learning. All of that information will feed into decision-making that occurs in the next couple of months uh, or even next month or two uh, into the fall and importantly into the future as we evaluate the to which the system, one of those key five areas, the system is designed in a way to support every child uh, hitting all cylinders on those three objectives. We want to make sure that they're being successful in that. So we engaged in a thought exchange recently with students, parents, and staff. If you can go to the next slide, please. Um, that thought exchange was quite interesting. We got some great data from all three groups. By the way, tomorrow, parents, students, and staff will receive an email uh, from me, parents through their uh, students or their parents, obviously, but they're going to receive an email that will give them the link to a website that will provide them access to everything that happened in their in their area, and they can see the other areas as well. There were some strong themes that emerged from that thought exchange. Now, a thought exchange, as a reminder, is a social interaction tool. And what the what thought exchange does is it takes people's comments, allows them to interact with each other on those comments, and then it uses um, AI to basically uh, meet out the themes that developed as a result of that thought exchange. Three of the themes that crossed the uh, the, the groups were VPN. One of the things that we know about VPN is is that while it is intended to make sure and provide a, a filter for parents at home, and filters are, are important to make sure that uh, undesirable content doesn't get through. Uh, the VPN in this case uh, is causing us some issues. Uh, that's not new. That's something that, uh, that was identified last year in the Digital Learning Task Force. It's an issue that the Technology Department and uh, Leadership and Learning Group have been working on this year. We had planned to do a pilot of some v VPN alternatives this spring that obviously can't happen in the way in which it was intended. But we know that VPN is an issue. And one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to reach out to parents with a little deeper survey process to focus specifically on the qualities that they would like to see in a filter that would uh, replace the VPN. 
there's different options on the market. None of them are perfect, but some of them may have more desirable characteristics the majority of parents are looking at. So we'll be doing an additional uh, survey and or a thought exchange related to VPN that will inform decision making then along with perhaps some other data we collect from parents on an alternative to VPN for the 2021 school year. So that will change going into next year. And I think the survey, the stock exchange with the parents was helpful in that. Now there's a second issue that came up and that was access. Uh, this takes on different uh, levels of, um, of concern or interest. One issue of access has to do with connectivity to the World Wide Web. We've all seen what we've experienced tonight. I had to dial in because my provider is, uh, is I've been having some issues with my provider, and so I've got to dial in on the phone just to get the speech going. That's frustrating. We're all experiencing those frustrations. That is not necessarily uh, related to a VPN. They could be connected, but a lot of times they may not be. Mine is never connected as, as Mine is never an issue of the VPN. It is always an issue of my home provider. So access to, to the internet is one issue. The other thing that we're doing with access is we are working with staff to identify which students have access and which ones don't. And so we're in that data collection phase right now. We'll be able to report out to you later on uh, kind of a detailed understanding of who has access and who doesn't. Now this becomes really important not just for school in the routine sense of the word, but schools should we be in a case next year where we have to go to either a blended learning environment, meaning some school, some at home, or, or the kind of environment that we're in right now. We don't know. So we have to prepare for any eventuality that occurs. We'll have to think about how we get access to those students who don't have it. And then access also takes on the meaning of access to people. And that kind of connects into the, the next one, is personally connect to each other. Parents were clear about that. They want to have the ability to connect to teachers in a more robust way. Uh, teachers are the same. They want to be able to connect in, in, a, in more effective ways with their students. Uh, the online environment has, has some, uh, has some nice elements to it, but it also has some distinct disadvantages, and that personal connection is one. Uh, the students also talked about personally connecting. They, they would like to have, for example, lessons, of, you know, like get the lessons for the week on Monday so they know what to work on. Uh, that was one thing that came out. Parents would like to uh, personally connect to at least the grades. Of course, we're not, we're not handing out grades beyond what was cut off third quarter. Uh, allowing students to improve their grades. So all of these things that are coming up in the thought exchange are somewhat predictable, but it's very helpful to allow our parents and our students and our staff to engage in those exchanges and have their own voice and then allow those themes to emerge. So that's the thought exchange. We'll be doing uh, some more of these uh, during the course of this this uh, this spring, and we'll continue to use thought exchange as a tool to uh, to get public voice out on these issues in ways that is much broader uh, than we could ever achieve through, for example, through email. 
So that's good. If you go to the next slide, please. Thank you, okay, Dr. Now, Fulton. We have, uh, uh, yes. yep, go ahead, Ed. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you, Dr. Fulton. Uh, I'd like to uh, ask Dr. John McKinney, our Director of Student and Family Services, to speak on the next two slides in relation to Panorama Social Emotional Learning Platform. Good evening, all, and thank you for the opportunity to speak briefly about Panorama Social Emotional Learning Survey. Of course, we've always known that social emotional learning was important. Not only are SEL competencies correlated with academic achievement, improved attendance, and reduced discipline, it's also a required part of the Kansas curricular standards. And from a practical boots on the ground perspective, we know that kids can't learn or achieve at the levels they're capable of if their social and emotional needs haven't been met. We need to address Maslow before students can bloom. The Panorama Survey gives us the ability to measure key SEL competencies, and this enables buildings to establish baseline data and develop building-based goals, initiatives, and areas of focus. In the same way, we measure academic areas of need and concern and focus our efforts toward addressing them. Panorama allows us to do the same thing with social-emotional competencies. Slide, please. With the unprecedented changes all of us are experiencing, the need to systematically measure and address social-emotional learning has never been more important. In 2021, we hope to build on the foundation we established and focus even more attention on the connection between social-emotional competencies and overall student wellness. Thank you. Next slide, please. At this time, I'd like to ask Dr. Tyrone Bates, our coordinator for diversity and inclusion, to speak on our Deep Equity Initiative. Dr. Bates with us. Dr. Strike, I can go ahead and address um, Deep Equity as well. Yes, please jump in, Dr. McKinney. I'm sorry, well, we must be having technical difficulties. No, no, no problem at all. Thank you again for the opportunity. You know, this was our, we just completed our first year of deep equity training, or we're in the process of completing our first year of deep equity training. Um, where when, where mm -hmm. when we've had, yeah, 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 Dr. Bates, uh, John McKinney, please go ahead. I was just getting started on that first slide. Okay, I was talking, but uh, I had went halfway through. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, um, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Strike. Um, um, and thank you, board, for the opportunity to share about our deep equity and inclusion work. Um, as much as I'd love to be there in person for my first public address to the board, obviously our unique circumstances prevent me from doing so. However, I look forward to the next opportunity to do so in person. Uh, deep equity is our product provided by our contracted vendor core, which allows us to equitably and efficiently provide some systemic professional development for our staff around personnel, professional, and organizational transformation necessary to ensure all students have equitable access to our school system. Uh, the author of Deep Equity, Gary Halbert, describes the goal of Deep Equity in this way. He says is teaching and leading in such a way that more of our students across more of their differences are achieving at a higher level, engaging at a deeper level most of the time. I would be remiss if I, if I didn't say how important having this partnership is for moving this work forward efficiently and equitably to not only meet the expectations of our strategic plan, 
which we fall under strategy two, we will relentlessly create a fully unified, equitable, and inclusive culture, but also support our staff who are charged with meeting the needs of a rapidly changing cultural and ethnic classroom. Without such partnership that builds our bench of diversity and equity practitioners, it could be, it could potentially take a person like me singularly several years to train the trainers and support them as they train all staff members in our district. Uh, currently, we got, we've trained 224 staff members uh, and we plan to train our SROs, our campus officers, our classified staff, our pairs who are currently under contract are trained during our PD days. Uh, we're uh, working to train in our food service custodians and then also uh, planning to work out ways to make sure that our new to Shawnee Mission School District teachers and staff are trained during our new teacher academy. Uh, the work of our, the impact, we'll see, hopefully we'll see the work, the impact of our work at a district wide level in about two to three years of implementation. And uh, some of our anticipated outcomes are that we hope to see uh, discipline and special education referrals reduced. Achievement levels increased across all subgroups. Access to higher level courses for marginalized students. And then finally, graduation and college attendance race, rates increased. We will be, well, I now pause there and turn it back to Dr. Fulton for any questions. Yeah, we'd be happy to uh, respond to any board questions. Hi, can I go ahead? Okay, um, Dr. Fulton, um, thank you all, uh, all presenters um, for walking through this. Uh, um, uh, Mr. Bates, you've kind of closed with a comment about looking at what kind of outcome indicators we will be evaluating in relation to deep equity. And um, uh, Dr. Fulton, can I actually bring this back to when we think about program evaluation and what some of our outcome indicators might be? Um, my assumption is that um, not only would it be kind of the deep equity, but the work we're doing around social emotional learning, as well as all the academic um, instructional components, all of those pieces together are working towards um, achieving our outcome indicators for students. And so the evaluations that we're going to be working on might not necessarily tease out any one specific component, but we'll all be working towards those same end goals. That's yeah, that's accurate. And just for the just so you uh, just so everybody knows, I am currently on, only on by phone right now because I'm having computer issues. But the good thing is I am connected with you. So you have to give me some uh, verbal cues here. But okay. in the program evaluation process, we're going to look at it through the lens of those three objectives. That's what we're here to achieve. Mm -hmm. And everything we do should support those three objectives. So when you talk about panorama and social emotional wellness, it is absolutely critical, of course, that children uh, have the social emotional supports that they need for their personal success. It ties in to their academic preparedness. Um, so 
The same thing is true with uh, deep equity training. Mm -hmm. How we interact with people matters. As we look at disaggregated data, as we think about how our children are doing, whether it's in areas of academics or behavior or, or access to, uh, to internships, it could be a wide range of, of possible indicators that we look at, but we should be seeing uh, not just equity in outcomes, that is important, but along with that equity, we see that our children are prepared at high levels of readiness uh, when they graduate from Shawnee Mission. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why in the program evaluation process, this is not a one and done deal. We have to set up the evaluations for the long term. You'll ask questions over time and look at your growth uh, on, those, on those questions or on those measures uh, to see whether or not, in fact, we're getting better. If we are, great. Let's know why. If we're not, that's, that's good to know. And we'll, we'll have to inspect our practice to see what we can, uh, what, how we learn our way through it and do better. Did that answer your question? Um, yes, thank you. I did have one other question. Are we, but did I cut off the last slide? Are we? I, 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 if you want to ask your question, go ahead, and then I'll ask the other board members if they have any questions. Okay, thank you. Um, did you, um, how many, I just was, for example, with Thought Exchange, what kind of participation rate did we get on that? Do you have those, that information available? Um, I do not have that information available at my fingertips, but it, it was substantial. I mean, over probably a thousand participants per group, I think, but I want to verify that. Um, and I'll, that will be included in the information that I send out tomorrow. Okay. I need to go back and double check the data, but it was, there was, there was a really good participation enough certainly to get uh, a good sampling of where people are right now in life on some of these issues. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Um, Reverend Guy, do you have any questions? Um, I just wanted to confirm with Dr. Bates that, um, that the deep equity training is continuing even now, uh, that people aren't able to be together in person, that, um, that we're still being able to do training sessions online. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. We have a training call set up with Corwin on May 7th to plan how that virtual training will look on June 1st, which is our last contracted day for the train, the trainer model um, for this year. And so is it is next year when we plan to have all staff trained this year was just training trainers and then next year is the entire staff will be trained. Is that the plan? By the end of year three, we should have everyone in our system trained. Uh, but definitely our goal is to um, meet the needs of our uh, classified uh, staff members specifically next year. Okay, thank you. That's all my questions. Thank you. Um, Mr. Stratton, do you have any questions on this topic? And during the prior to the pandemic, prior to no questions. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Goodburn, do you have any questions on this topic this evening? 
Reverend Guy asked my question. I just wanted to know if it was continuing and what the plan was. So no, no other questions. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Embry, do you have any questions on this topic? I was curious to understand. I know we at the last board meeting talked some about um, student connectivity and ability to access learning. But I also understand that we were going to try to dig a little bit deeper and understand how many students are not just logging on but actively participating in continuous learning. Is there something um, that we have an answer to or what's our strategy to get an answer to that? I know it's not an easy question to answer. Uh, that was part of the thought exchange process. Some of the uh, the reaching out that we've done with teachers, and we'll we'll continue to work to collect data on. If I if I heard you right, I'm sorry you're breaking up a little bit. If I heard you right on on uh, you're talking about students and uh, and and teachers connecting, right? And how much of it was online? Oh, just participation rates. Yeah, what's our participation? Participation rate? rates. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we are working on collecting uh, some data on that, yes. So once we get all that put together, then we'll be able to share it publicly. And then my other question was panorama related, and it was just um, about whether or not that data was disaggregated, and we were able to look at that and sort of think through what our work around equity and Corwin actually affects showing up and how students feel about their social and emotional learning and their connection to their school. I really like that connection um, that you that you mentioned, and absolutely, we have all that data available um, district wide by building. Now, just a, um, a reminder that we only assessed um, or surveyed grades three through eight. Um, we our plan was to incorporate high schools into second semester, which was um, um, you know through no it was it was ended as a result of the COVID nineteen. And so we only have three through eight data, but I had over 7,000 uh, students participate and I have all that data available. So um, yes, it would be very interesting to disaggregate that and, and look at it from a, a lens of, of deep equity. And is that 7,000 number about what percent participation was that? We had over 70% of those that, um, you know, we sent home a, pa I've told this story before, but we sent home a paper consent form um, asking parents to read, acknowledge, sign, and send back, and we got over 70% back. So we were very happy with that number, um, and we moved everything to Skyward for second semester, and that's where it will remain from here on out, um, making the process much simpler uh, for everyone, hopefully. Um, but over 70% of, of our third through eighth graders um, responded uh, yes, that they would be willing to take the survey. Ms. Borgman, do you have any questions on this topic this evening? Yeah, I do actually. Um, I have I have a few. Um, first of all, I just wanted to say welcome, Dr. Bates. Um, I am sorry that your first meeting with us has to be via WebEx, but we're so glad to have you on board and it's great to hear your voice and um, I hope you and your family are doing well. Um, thank you as well, Dr. McKenney, for your um, presentation on the panorama as well. Um, so equity and social emotional learning are probably two of the things that um, with this pandemic that have kind of kept me up at night thinking about students in our district. Um, and, you know, 
specifically as it relates to distance learning. Um, I am, as many of us are, worried about that achievement gap and that achievement gap widening. Um, as we collect the data um, from our schools about which kiddos are able to connect and which kiddos are not, I'm just wondering, you know, is there going to be some type of a concerted effort to um, perhaps get students paper copies of things that they've missed to, um, you know, to, to try to avoid that achievement gap from widening for many kids? I guess that's my first question. Or is there a strategy in place that um, we have for kids that don't have connectivity issues that maybe don't have parents that are engaged right now? Those are some big questions. I, I'm not, uh, we're right now, the, we're, and I'll, I'll start it and invite the team members to jump in. I mean, right now, our focus is on understanding, doing the best that we can to, to connect with each of our students in the context of with, which, with which they're living. Some of them have access to Wi-Fi, others do not. And so that's why I've used a combination of digital and paper resources. I know one of the things that we, we had to shut down the buildings for a couple of weeks, we're gonna work on getting uh, some limited access back in, in the near future so we can make sure and get students and materials that they need for learning. But that equity piece is, uh, manifesting itself right now in ways that are probably not the desirable outcome that we're after. Mm -hmm. And I don't, that's not just us, that's across sure. the country that people are struggling with that. Yeah. And it's one of the problems that we have to address heading into the fall. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the first step is just getting those kids on our radar that, you know, have to go that have not connected at all. And so, um, you know, I appreciate the fact that this is, um, an, you know, something that the district is working on is reaching these kids um, and then and trying to, to connect with them and get them, um, you know, connected and engaged in learning. Um, because I think the fall is gonna have some unique challenges, not just with how kids are learning, but, um, you know, the kids that have really taken off five months, you know, um, I'm, I am worried about that. And I know that that's something that you guys are working on um, as well. Um, some specific questions about Corlin. Um, you know, I'm curious as to what feedback we've gotten from teachers, um, what's working, what's not working, and how it's benefited children in the classroom. Great question. So uh, the feedback that we've gotten so far from teachers, and, and keep in mind, we have um, a, um, um, a uh, equity model that we're using, uh, an efficacy model that we're using to measure our effectiveness uh, through each phase of implementation. And this year, uh, as we focused on our teaching, our training the trainers, uh, we gave them a survey uh, at the beginning of the year, which we will follow up. Uh, at the end of the year, post-survey to measure growth on, on the outcomes that I shared. And so what, what the surveys have indicated up to this point is that um, our staff employees have welcomed the opportunity to strengthen their knowledge base and improve equity and access for all students. Um, 
uh, our trainers tell us that there there remain some who see this as 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 important work, and as uh, and in others as temporary or even unnecessary. So, our upcoming deep equity training. Try to address that question. Go ahead, Doctor. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Are you still with us, Doctor Bates? Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. you hear what I was what I was saying? Yeah. 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 Please continue if you have more to say. Sure. So our upcoming deep equity sessions will provide our trainers with more strategies uh, to help them support those um, who are challenged by uh, our work um, and provide them with a uh, with some tools to help them uh, manage those who may see this work as temporary or unnecessary. Um, but overall, the feedback uh, from staff has been exceedingly positive that we've received. Uh, as far as impact on students, it's very early to gauge uh, a significant or significant significant impact on uh, the classroom level as we won't see that um, really that impact until maybe the end of year two uh, going into year three uh, as we look at those um, discipline and special education referrals and achievement levels. Um, this year we're spending uh, an ordinate amount of time ensuring that staff are uh, exposed to the tools, um, give an opportunity to practice the tools and add them to their tool belt, uh, recognize when uh, to utilize those tools. And those tools uh, that I'm referring to are, are culturally responsive teaching practices, which uh, June 1 is, is gonna go into a deeper dive of those culturally responsive teaching practices uh, that um, help to ensure that all students have access and help teachers show up in a way that allow that to occur. Great. Well, uh, Dr. Bates as well, just some feedback for you. Um, I toured a, an elementary school shortly after um, a train the trainer session um, and the, the teachers all had a coffee um, before school started one morning so they could talk about what they learned and they were just so um thrilled with you know what they had learned and it was so thought-provoking um to them and uncovering some of these hidden biases that they were not sort of aware of um that they really enjoyed it and so um it, you know it's nice to see and hear those kinds of conversations um you know they're taking it a step further so um I just wanted to provide that feedback as well that I, it really just pleased me um, to hear that these teachers were kind of owning it and taking it a step further. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your work. I appreciate it. Um, and then my question regarding Panorama, kind of similar questions. Um, you know, um, what what have we done with this data and how have we use this data to help children um, you know, I've heard from several elementary kid, elementary teachers that kids in younger grades don't quite understand some of the verbiage. Um, so it may not be a completely a true indicator. Um, and then is the data shared with parents? I know, you know, my personal experience that information hasn't always been shared with me and I've just been kind of curious about it with my own personal children. Um, and um, you know, how are we using this this tool? I guess in the future. That's a lot of questions. 
Sorry, board Dr. member Borgman. All right. Okay. Sorry. Oh, I'm okay. Thank you. And thanks for saying that about Corwin. That means a lot. That really helps. That really helps us. So thank you for saying that. Um, so let's start with how are we using the data. Um, once the um, aggregated data came back, then uh, we brought together administrators, social workers, and a counselor. They could have brought in also nurses or teachers, but just their BLT would come in. And um, they personally met with the Panorama trainer who came in and kind of showed them how to use the dashboard and the playbook and different aspects of, you know, not only are they providing uh, the data, the aggregated data, but they also provide resources and support um, to kind of help you analyze and then utilize the data to better meet the needs of your school or your uh, classroom or even the district. So they sort of walked them through the dashboard and then buildings were instructed to take that data back to their BLTs and share with their PLCs and to share with their staff in a way that wasn't um, so intrusive that it, it, it's not specific, student specific. Now the data can be, and we can share that with parents and I'll sort of speak to that. But what we were looking at was building data to kind of see where our students fell with grit, self-reliance, um, perseverance, and then how they felt about the school environment and their student-teacher relationships, their relationships with their teachers. And then to use that data as discussion points around what sort of goals do we need to set as a building to address these areas of uh, concern or need or just areas that we feel like we need to put more focus and attention? What can we do as a building? What can we do as a staff? What can we do as our building leadership team? And then take that data and develop some goals and some programming and some initiatives around that information. And of course, it has to uh, stay in keeping with um, the strategic plan and the three objectives, all roads lead back to the three objectives and the strategic plan. But buildings could use that data to really sort of focus in on specific areas where they would like to see an improvement. Um, so buildings were sent back with that data after we've only done one. And again, it was grades three through eight. Um, and they went back and shared that uh, with their staffs. Now, as far as parent uh, results go, because it was our first time, um, we talked a lot about, and I'm communicating regularly with my colleagues in Olathe and Blue Valley about, they both, both districts use Panorama, and Olathe has for some time. And Olathe does send home, mail home the results. They do it three times a year, but after each survey, they mail the student results home. And we've talked a little bit about that. But that first time, I really felt like it did need some context and some explanation. You know, it, just because your student didn't score particularly well in self, you know, resilience um, on one day at one time and on one survey isn't cause for alarm. Or, you know, I mean, it may be something to talk about, but it's not something to overreact uh, about. And so we wanted to provide some context and some understanding with the results. And um, and unfortunately, that we our survey window missed the parent teacher conference first semester. But our goal, and you know, I keep talking about second semester, and as you can tell, I'm very very frustrated that we weren't able to do all the things we had in mind. But our goal for second semester was complete the survey with time to be able to sit down and share those results during parent teacher conferences, and that will be our plan moving forward into 2021. 
um, we'll do the survey. You wait two or three weeks because if you're going to really evaluate, you know, environment and student-teacher relationships, you got to give the students some time um, in the building. And so you wait two or three weeks and then prepare the proctors and the staff and then give the survey. And we'll, we would do that just in time for those October conferences. So you could sit down with a piece of paper with grades and a piece of paper with panorama results and go through both and provide that context and that background. And, and we would provide resources. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot that kind of comes along with it. And we just didn't want to mail it out and say, there you go, you know, good luck with that. So what we encourage buildings to do is to let parents know that the results were available and that if someone wanted to see them, they were absolutely uh, able and uh, able to do so. And in doing it that way, we were hoping that we would share it with parents along with, you know, greater context and understanding around what the results mean and equally important what they don't. Um, so, yes, data will be shared with parents moving forward. We'll just do it during parent teacher conferences. Um, and then is it a tool that's being used? Yeah, I really think that it is. Um, you know, my social workers are are just uh, doing a tremendous job and I just can't say enough about the work that our counselors and our social workers and our nurses and, um, and those folks are doing in reaching out to families and, and providing information. That's probably the biggest resource that we're providing right now, just information about where to go and how to do and how do I, and if you're having trouble with this, this is where you go and, and who you contact. So we're, we're reaching out to all those families. And one aspect of that ability to be able to communicate with families is to have access to data. We do it for every other um, important factor in education. We need to start doing it for social emotional characteristics as well and competencies as well. And so I think that it is being used. I think that you'll see it being used at a great, much greater extent when we bring parents in by sharing the data during parent teacher conferences and sort of involve them in that give and take conversation, just like we would around English or math or science or any other important academic uh, skill. I think that's when you'll see it being used um, to its full extent. I, I do want to add to that, and this is kind of a reminder, you know, we adopted the strategic plan last year. And we started doing program evaluations last year. This year, the goal was to begin to get baseline measures put together. We made some progress on that. This clearly set us back What we're, when we began to transition all of our focus on on um, this continuous learning structure and our capacity, our ability to even access some of this data that we normally would have gathered in the spring, uh, we lost that opportunity. So it, it takes uh, about three or four uh, data points before you can begin to really get a good baseline of where you're at and an understanding of growth. And if you get those, uh, if you get those three or four points within a year, great. Some of these you only get once or twice a year. So it's, 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 we are still in the developmental stages of putting program evaluations together. And um, I know that may be frustrating to some, but it's reality of what it is involved in putting a, a systemic long range approach together. So, well, um, so I think that data is helpful. I actually, 
I actually really appreciate that comment and, you know, because it's important, you know, for us all to understand it's important. That's an important point for the community to understand. That's also an important point for board members to understand. Um, I just, you know, I think, you know, with Corwin, uh, with a price tag of 150,000 and Panorama a price tag of 52,000, you know, when we just had a, a budget presentation earlier um, in the evening that, you know, is quite frankly going to be a little scary um, that I, you know, I think these are really important conversations to have. So, you know, when and if things do, when we are voting on these things, um, people understand the importance of them and how um, the district is sort of layering um, the information and the data and creating baselines. And so I, I actually really appreciate, you know, what you had to say, Dr. Fulton, as well as all the information that you provided, Dr. McKinney, um, regarding Panorama. And I, I do apologize for the rapid fire question <laughs> there. Um, thank you for, for handling them all so, um, you know, so, so great. Uh, I appreciate, you know, because again, social emotional learning is, is critical. Um, if you are not, you know, um, feeling your best emotionally when you go to school, you know, you're going to have a hard time learning. So thanks for, you know, all you're doing to, to make this a huge priority for our district. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you very much, gentlemen. Um, I think that wraps up 3.1, unless there was anything further, Dr. Fulton. No, that'll conclude the uh, presentation. Great. Thank you, gentlemen, for attending. It was a pleasure to have you all uh, virtually with us this evening. Um, moving on to items four and the consent items. First, I'll see if there's anything in the consent agenda that someone would like to request to have removed this evening. Hearing none, I will seek a motion to approve the consent items. So moved. Good burn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Do I have a second? I'll second, Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? All right, hearing none, that passes 7-0. Now moving on to action items. We'll start with 5.1. The approval of revised board policy JA goals and objectives first and final reading. And I'll seek the motion to get the second and then let you speak to it, Sarah. Does that work? Perfect. Um, I'll so move. Great, thank you. Uh, Gerber moves, is there a second? Henry second. Okay, Henry second. Um, and I'll let you speak to this, Ms. Goodburn, thank you. Basically, we're taking um, policy JA, and again, like we've done the past uh, month or so, uh, took a look at um, KASB model policy, and we are revising this policy too to match or closely match um, uh, KSB model policy. And I believe we're also adding the line that's uh, at the end. I'm not sure if that was in model policy or not, but um, basically adding the line about student handbooks and making that reference to the student handbooks because that's where a lot of um, this information resides or information resides about student conduct and student uh, discipline, those kind of things reside in that student handbook. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Does anyone have any questions? All right, here is done. Oh, oh, sorry. So, so my understanding, there's, there's, 
it, the intent was, well, no, no substantive change. It was this language is really about clarification and bringing it in alignment with current model policy. Is that correct? You are correct. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for doing this work, both of you. Welcome. Are there any further questions? Okay. Those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? All right, uh, passes 7-0. Moving on to 5.2, approval of proclamation National School Library Month. Um, I will seek a motion and get a second, and then I will read the proclamation. Um, thank you, Mr. Stratton. Is there a second? Goodburn, second. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn, second. All right, so this is our National School Library Month proclamation. Whereas the Shawnee Mission School Library Program is to ensure that students and staff are effective users of ideas and information, and whereas the school librarian's role is to provide the leadership and expertise necessary to ensure that the library program is an integral part of the instructional program of the school, and whereas the Board of Education has entrusted the school librarian in each school to teach the skills of locating and using information through traditional resources and new technologies to provide literature appreciation activities and to guide and encourage content and recreational reading to every student, and whereas lifelong learning begins and is systemic, systematically developed through the school library curriculum of the elementary and secondary schools, and whereas the school library program contributes to the individual growth and development of all students while fostering both excellence and equity in education, and whereas the school librarians of Shawnee Mission Schools have dedicated themselves to work for quality library programs for all students, now, therefore, be it resolved that the Board of Education of Shawnee Mission Schools does hereby proclaim April 2020 as School Library Month in all Shawnee Mission Schools and calls upon school administrators, teachers, students, and patrons of the Shawnee Mission School District to recognize and support this action and to participate throughout the month of April in the celebration of School Library Month. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Move 7 0. Thank you. And we're moving on to 5.3, appro approval of the school fee schedule for 2020-2021 school year. Um, I will seek a motion in a second, and then Dr. Fulton, maybe you can speak to this one. Is there a motion to approve? I'll move. Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Is there a second? I'll second Sinclair. Uh, Dr. Sinclair for the second, and take it away, Mr. Dr. Fulton. Okay, thank you. And I'm going to uh, uh, have Dr. Atha give a little overview of this item. Good evening. Uh, we have Nancy Kokenauer, uh, <laughs> Director of Food Service, with us this evening. Um, as you note, and uh, as far as the menu items uh, or menu prices, rather, um, uh, the range, the increase ranges everywhere from a nickel to to a dime. But I'll let Dr. Uh, Mrs. Kokenauer speak to this rate increase that we're asking the board to approve. Evening, this is Nancy Kokenauer. Uh, we're proposing a nickel increase for all students um, for breakfast and lunch from this year to next year, and that is to cover our increased or anticipated increase of food costs. The uh, dime increase for adults is because the state sends out guidelines on what adult prices should be if they don't meet this um, threshold, then we need to come up with non-federal funds to make up the difference. 
Thank you. Um, are there any questions for Ms. Kirkenau this evening? All right, hearing none. Um, all those in favor, say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? All right, motion passes 7-0. Thank you. Um, moving on to 5.04, approval of the Cisco Security EA renewal. Move approval. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Uh, I'll seek a second. And I'll second that. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Um, Dr. Fulton, do you want to speak to this? Uh, yes, this is, uh, this is really an application of its hardware uh, software that uh, helps us to keep our uh, system secure. And uh, I believe that uh, Dr. Atha and Mr. Lane are prepared to provide a little bit more information for the board about what this approval involves. So I'll turn it over to them. Go ahead and take the lead on this, Drew. Okay. The Pardon me, the Cisco Security EA renewal is just that. It's a renewal of services that we've been using for the previous five years. This represents uh, essentially a suite of, of applications, of uh, licensing, and of some hardware that allows us to maintain a solid security stance for all district data. There are a number of tools in here that uh, the district uses to maintain integrity of the system of the of the data that we have in the systems that we have uh, both while they're at rest and during those times where they're in transit there are a couple of tools in here that uh, I've received questions about over the past couple of days that I wanted to draw attention to specifically and answer directly one of the tools that's in there re, uh, is the VPN renewal that is a tool VPN is a tool that we do use for secure tunnel access to various district data. There are two sides to that in the district and the way we use it. One is for employees, faculty, staff to use it to get back to data that is needs extra protection because it's essentially the most sensitive information that we have around folks. And the other side of that is that we currently use VPN as the access method for directing student traffic back to our content filter. As we've discussed uh, earlier in this meeting and as we've discussed previous at previous board meetings, the uh, district, uh, more specifically the ICT team as well as uh, members of the leadership and learning team, are taking a close look at alternatives to using a content filter that requires VPN as an access. And so the renewal part of this really is to provide us access to VPN for the remaining time that we need it to provide that access for students, but it will also be something we keep in place for student, or excuse me, for employee access to those data systems that are uh, more sensitive. As an example, uh, payroll lookup for employees is done through VPN, and that is to add an extra layer of protection around that data so that their personal and financial information um, is much, much less likely to be compromised. A second product that is in this renewal that has uh, raised questions is the product uh, called Umbrella. We have transparently been using Umbrella for the, the, the past several years. Um, it is an additional security layer for web traffic. There are districts that use Umbrella solely as a content filter. That's not the decision and it's not a decision we have made yet and it's not, a, it's, it's not why we're asking for, be, 
for it to be renewed. We're asking for Umbrella to be renewed because it is, again, another security layer for our web traffic. Um, and we would continue to pair it with any change in content filter that we would make. So overall, the security EA is a renewal of, of products that we've been using. There are some new and additional products that we're entitled to under this renewal. It's something we've been doing for about five years. And there are a couple of items in there that have raised questions around VPN and whether or not we're keeping VPN and content filtering and umbrella. Um, but this really is just a renewal of the suite of, of tools that would require to keep the district's data uh, secure. That's all I have. I'd be happy to respond to any questions. This is Ms. Um, can I just confirm, I mean, my understanding is that we're buying an entire suite of services here, some of which are really critically important to preserving our data and keeping it safe, and some of which, like the VPN and Umbrella, may prove to be unnecessary in the future if we find another solution. Um, but we don't, is there any, like, cost efficiency if down if two years from now or three years from now is that we decide we don't need as much VPN access as we have now. We will we potentially have redundant products later if we find other solutions, I guess. And I am not a tech person, so I don't know if any of that makes sense, but it does feel like we're buying a whole suite and parts of it are critical and parts of it might not be. That's a good question. So all the parts that we're asking for renewal are critical components. We would continue to use them. Using Umbrella as an example, Umbrella is an additional security layer we use for web traffic. We have been using it, and we would want to continue to use it. The VPN, the way we have structured the renewal is that the VPN provides us the level of access we need to keep student VPN in place as we go down the road towards a different content filtering solution. But we still are going to need VPN access. And so it also is not a redundant. Again, it would be and, and at that point in time, it would be mainly for staff access back to data systems, but we need it, we'll need it now and in the future, and that's why we've asked for it to be renewed. But as a part of that renewal, there are some, they're, they're actually in parallel to that renewal, there are some potential cost savings to the district if we move away from VPN-based access because there are hardware items and licensing and those types of things that are associated with that right now that we would not have to renew and we would not have to purchase upgrades for and those types of things. So there could be a significant cost savings to the district in that fashion. But for all intents and purposes, what we're asking to renew in this security EA renewal, those are all critical components to keeping the district's data uh, secure and safe. Thank you. Yes. Are there any other board members with questions? All right, hearing none. Oh, wait, is that? Okay, I guess I, I thought I heard someone trying to speak up, but I but I didn't. Um, so at this point, I will ask all those in favor to say aye. 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 Are there any nays? Okay, passes 7-0. Passes Thank you. All right, moving on to um 5.05 .05, the approval of the high school network switch refresh seek a motion to approve i'll move goodburn thank you mrs goodburn is there a second i'll second sinclair thank you dr sinclair dr fulton did you want to speak to this item uh yes mr lane will be available to address any questions of the board on this item 
You would be happy okay. to provide an overview if you'd like that. Um, sure, why don't we go ahead and have an overview? Okay, Mr. Lane, why don't you go ahead and do that if you would, please. Certainly, thank you, Dr. <coughs> Fulton, excuse me. The network switch refresh is, it's a part of an overall strategy for maintaining uh, hardware integrity for data transport in the district. So the switching equipment we are asking to refresh at the high school is switching equipment that has reached its end of useful life for that equipment. Um, it is part of a, it's, it's part of a, a seven year rotation we do on all district network infrastructure hardware. And this is also equipment that uh, we are eligible for with E-rate. So we will also request E-rate reimbursement. E-rate is always a you might get it, you might not proposition. So we don't ever try to forecast the cost of, of the refresh based on getting E-rate dollars. Uh, but generally speaking, and knock on wood, we have never not received E-rate dollars for things for which we've applied. Mr. Lane, can you explain what E-rate is for some folks in case they don't know what that is? Oh, certainly. Uh, the E-rate program goes back uh, quite a while at this point in time, but it is essentially a federal program that allows districts to apply for reimbursement for some components of connectivity for your school district. Used to be really just around internet connectivity and phone service. Um, today, after a couple of uh, modernizations and, and uh, those types of things at the federal level, they now are focused a lot more on just internet access, but they've allowed the inclusion of some hardware that provides that internet access uh, to distribute it within your district. Thank you. Certainly. Are there any board member questions at this time? All right, hearing none. Um, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any nays? Hearing no nays, the item passes 7-0. Okay, so now we're on to 5.06, approval of the SRO contract with the City of Overland Park. Um, I'll seek a motion to approve in a second, and then Dr. Fulton and other folks to speak about this this evening. So moved. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Is there a second? I'll second, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. And turn it over to you, Dr. Fulton. Okay, thank you. Uh, this contract is uh, part of our relationship that we have with Overland Park to work cooperatively with their police department to provide us with school resource officers. As you know, in Shawnee Mission, we have some of our own staff, and then we work in partnership with uh, area police departments to have them provide SROs as well. Uh, uh, John Douglas is uh, going to provide us with an overview of uh, the contract, and uh, Mr. Douglas, uh, Dr. Athan, I'll be happy to respond to uh, any questions. So, Mr. Douglas, I'll turn it over to you. Good evening. Uh, let me start with, a, with a, kind of a short history of how the SRO program began, and we can move to the highlights of the contract. Um, in 1988-1989, the Shawnee Mission School District started experiencing issues with gangs, drugs, and, and a considerable amount of fighting inside and outside the school buildings. And at that point in time, under the direction of the superintendent at that time, uh, the Overland Park Police Department met with the district 
I was part of the Overland Park Police Department at that time, as you know, I was uh, the operations commander. And we started looking for programs that might help the district uh, deal with those issues. And there was a program out of Minnesota, which was the embedding of police officers as resident officers inside the schools. Prior to that point in time, that was not something that had been, a, that had been tried or, or certainly wasn't something that they would looked at. Now, Shawnee Mission had its own uh, quasi-police department at the time. They, from 1972 on, they were commissioned, but they were not allowed inside the school. They stayed out in the parking lot, and quite frankly, it was not very professional. It was not very effective, and that was one of the reasons we, we uh, moved to having the SRO program. Now, that immediately started making a, a significant positive impact on the three missions that they were referring to, the drugs, uh, we're moved virtually out of the school. We don't see much of a way of open market selling of drugs like we did at that point in time, especially in the parking lots. We have very little of that now. Um, we certainly have fights, but we don't have the kind of fights or a duration of violence that were taking place then. And gangs have been removed pretty much from, for the most part, out of uh, our schools. Uh, we still have some gang activity that is associated peripherally, and we have some drug activity that is associated peripherally. But I would like to point out that shortly after putting two SROs in Shawnee Mission, one at North, one at West, uh, there was a major fight and confrontation between Shawnee Mission North and Olathe North, which resulted in a homicide. That homicide, we feel, could have been prevented had the students uh, been able to get a hold of the SRO at the time. They did not have pagers or phones, and there was no way to call them, which, which was remedied shortly thereafter. But it was a sign that the officers in the schools had moved past the original missions and were building probably the most important factor of having an SRO or a DRO, and that is establishing very good and very close relationships with the kids. We found out afterwards that the kids were desperately trying to contact the SRO and talk about what was going to happen and what might happen. And what we found since then is that there is a very strong relationship between the kids and the SROs when done properly. It provides a lot of activity uh, information and allows us to stop things from happening or solve major cases when it does happen. Now, in 1999, as everybody remembers, was the Columbine High School incident, and everything changed. And at that point in time, the SROs took on another mission, and that was not only to deal with those factors in the schools and build relationships with the kids, but it was also to start heading off potential violent attacks on the schools. Uh, it was determined at that time that they knew a lot about, the kids knew a lot about what might be coming. Uh, and all the problems that existed, but there needed to be a stronger outlook and an outreach to be able to protect the kids who from these kinds of events. I would point out that through the last five years, six years that I've been here, we probably average about 12 to 15 incidents a year, which go as far as needing significant investigation, some of which very serious and very, very probably could have resulted in um, violence. And the SROs and the DROs working with the local law enforcement have been able to successfully conclude and, and move those to a safer situation. So that is a key element of, of what's going down. 
So the SROs have become a very important part of our overall safety structure uh, from a basic policing that takes place to the safety and security measures that go forward. Which brings us to the contract. I would point out almost quietly, however, that in 1989 and 1990, the school district paid over 70% of the officer's salaries. Ever since then, it has dwindled down until the point where we currently pay probably less than 50% of their salaries. And while it's not an insignificant amount, it is less money than we could put our own officer in, in there at this point in time. Um, the contract that we have before you is actually a modified version of the last two-year contract that we've been operating on. And it's moved from a basic fee, all of which we started in 1989, to the point where it is now, and we virtually pay by the hour that they work, and that's a set hourly fee. We also put in there some, some uh, guidance from the law department in cooperation with Overland Park. Let's spell out some specific um, responsibilities and understandings, uh, tidying that up from the last time. So that's a basic overview. Uh, I, as always, the details are in the questions, and, and I would answer any questions that you might. Thank you, Chief Douglas. I'll just go through the line of board members. Um, Mr. Stratton, do you have any questions this evening on this topic? No, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Reverend Guy, do you have any questions on this topic? Um, Chief Douglas, can you just clarify um, when the officers are in the buildings, are they, is their primary role to uphold the city laws and state laws or um, school district policy or all of the above? Well, Reverend Guy, they don't uphold district policy per se. They operate under the district policy, meaning that if we have rules on when a, a child can be interviewed, or I think the one that comes to mind is uh, we have our students either interview when they're to be interviewed. Um, we, try, we try to have a parent present, and if a parent is not available, we have a school administrator that looks out for the um, interest of the student, with the exception of when they're 18, they're considered adults. And we still make the notification of the parents, but it becomes a much more difficult, different situation because the student now has rights and, ne and necessarily the parent is not always part of that. Um, now, we, when we say, are they there to enforce laws? I think that's probably too strong a statement. Um, in the past, when we fed SROs over a period of time, and you can see it's been over many, many years, um, the SROs were often used to enforce kind of school discipline on minor incidences, for example, smoking and and disorderly conduct and things which really need to be met with by the schools. And while most schools did not have that problem, some schools did, and it resulted in a study that took a look at, at the uh, unnecessary introduction of students into the judicial system, and that became a very significant topic for everybody, one that we've certainly looked at, and resulted in Senate Bill, I believe it's 367, which clearly delineates that um, while the schools are, are mandated to report criminal activity, once they have met, 
that requirement by talking to the SRO or in our case, the DRO or both, or the local police, then the local police can exercise good judgment and allow the schools to conduct the discipline inside the school as opposed to uh, introducing that into the judicial system. And that happens with great frequency in our district. Um, most things are handled by the school and the school discipline. Um, the, the, the exception, of course, would be very significant felonies or almost most of the felonies. Um, well, all of the felonies would be handled that way. And that, of course, is burglary, rape, robbery, obviously a homicide and those kinds of things. If it is the boundary is really more about assaults, if it's kind of a pushing, shoving contest, that's handled inside the school. Uh, even some punches and hair pulling that goes with it, a lot of that, if not most of that's handled in the school. But it takes a little bit of judgment and cooperation to decide at what point in time is a fight so violent that it really requires charges. Uh, and that's where it, it uh, goes. Certainly if you're selling narcotics, that's going to be an arrest. If you're possessing a quantity that is significant, that's going to be an arrest. If it's going to be a small amount that's in your book bag and the bottom of it, that's going to require school discipline. So I hope I answered your question, but it's a very, it's a very difficult question because it relies a lot on subjectivity. Yes, thank you. I have no further questions. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Borgman, do you have any questions on this topic this evening? No questions, thank you. Thank you. Ms. Tembry, do you have any questions on this topic this evening? I have just a couple. Um, thank you, first off, for the really great overview. It was very helpful as a new board member to understand. I have especially your kids. SROs are just a very big black box to me that I don't understand. Um, one of my questions is what the DRO, you mentioned that. The DRO is virtually the same thing as an SRO. They're both commissioned police officers. They both have lots of experience and tenure. But one of them is paid for as an employee by the school district. So they are actually our employee. The SRO is, is works with us and in cooperation with us, but they are city employees. And so uh, we don't have a county employee anymore. We did at Horizons for a while. But it, it's, the, it's not so much the jurisdiction or the capability, but it is the organization that they work for. Got it. Thank you very much. Uh, my other question, just because I know that this came up a little bit when we were talking about Corwin, is that we're planning to train some of our SROs on deep equity. And it sparked a bigger question for me of whether some of those decisions about professional development for SROs, is that at the discretion of the city of Overland Park or is that at the discretion of the school district? Well, there's, there's kind of a combination. Uh, first of all, our officers and the SROs are trained extensively. We have a 40-hour mandate every every year, and um, they will be participating. Both groups will be participating in the deep equity training, but they also get um, diversity training through the state, which is mandated. They get sexual harassment training through the state, which is mandated, and most everybody that we have, uh, certainly the Overland Park officers, are, have participated in diversity training for years and years and years. So our diversity training when I was at Oakland Park went back about 14 years, so uh, 15 years maybe. And consequently, they've had a lot of that. They also get uh, CIT training, which is critical incident training, which is essentially on how to deal with subjects 
who are under mental duress, who have mental issues, mental, mental diagnoses, and so they get that training. And we make sure that they get a multitude of appropriate training for dealing with students in our environment. Now, Overland Park does not have to meet the same requirements we set for ourselves, other than we will want them to do the deep equity training. And I know they get the state-mandated training, uh, plus a lot more of, a, of those kinds of things, including um, both sets get um, response to school shootings and, and those issues. Thank you. Ms. Embry, do you have any further questions? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Goodburn, do you have any questions for Chief Douglas this evening? Um, no questions. Thank you. And Dr. Sinclair, I think I hadn't gotten to you yet. Do you have any questions for Chief Douglas this evening? I believe my question actually might be for Dr. Fulton. I'm not sure, but um, just to check my understanding of this contract, this um, this contract still um, provides flexibility to the district to staff in a way that meets all of our goals that either and or kind of looks to build relationships um, between students and our um, police officers, um, as well as kind of enforcing a positive behavioral supports approach to discipline and all those kinds of things. So this contract doesn't necessarily specify whether it would be a district hire or department hire, but allows that opportunity to maximize our relations and resources in a way that kind of fulfills all of our goals. Is that correct? No, that is absolutely correct. And uh, just Thank so you know, we have a very good relationship with the Overland Park Police Department. Uh, the chief and I speak uh, periodically as needed. And, um, you know, it's a great relationship that uh, frankly, Chief Douglas started and has continued, and whether or not we use uh, one of the personnel from Overland Park Police Department or, or hire one of our own, the expectations are the same with respect to the way in which we uh, build relationships with students and help them to do their personal best and if there are issues and help them to work through that productively. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. And then I just have one clarifying question for this evening. Um, just to make clear that if the buildings are not open, um, we're not we're not obligated to continue to pay um, if we're not, if we're not utilizing the service. Sure, I have Chief Douglas uh, address that question. No, actually, since we have a contract that does not go by quarter anymore, which we negotiated several years ago, uh, we now go by hour. So there is a cost savings for this last semester. Thank you, Chief. Um, are there any further questions? All right, hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Motion passes 7-0, thank you. Um, moving to item 5-7, the approval of the renewal of the NWEA math licenses for the 2020-2021 school year. Um, I'll seek a motion in a second and then turn it to Dr. Fulton. So moved, Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Second by Hembree. Thank you, Ms. Hembree. Um, Dr. Fulton, do you have uh, some comments on this item? Yeah, just a couple of quick comments as uh, provided in the in the information under this item. This is a uh, this is a our annual renewal for NWA MAP 
It's an important tool as an interim assessment to help us measure growth over time on the priority standards and uh, also not just look at growth, but also look at status. Did they, in, in fact, reach grade level expectations with the priority standards? So uh, this is a customary renewal this time of year. I invite Dr. Hubbard to add anything that she would uh, like to to this item. I don't really have anything to add. Um, Dan Grumman is also on the line. If you have any really deep questions, Dr. Grumman is also here. It is something the data we use in PLCs. Um, buildings use the data regularly for for a variety of reasons for kids, for both um, you know, tiered instruction for both kids that are struggling as well as kids that need additional items that are above grade level. So, thank you. Are there any questions on this item? I have a question. Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Go ahead. I just I wanted to know additionally, like uh, with the last item, we just talked about uh, potentially if the buildings aren't open. Um, I, I noticed in the contract there was some kind of an out, but I didn't I didn't click the link. So is there some kind of an out in case, you know, because I think the spring we weren't really able to use MAP. Is that correct with our students? We weren't able to do anything with that? That is correct. I'll have Dr. Hubbard and uh, doc, uh, Mr. Dr. Grumman address that one. That is correct. We did not use, so you can give MAP three times a year, fall, winter, and spring windows. So we gave it in the fall, we gave it in the winter, and we did not give a spring window. Dr. Grumman, I'm going to need you to specifically talk about um, in the contract if we don't have to pay, but I know that we are still utilizing the system significantly because we're going to have to use that fall and winter data to help make projections for upcoming fall, especially with these kids that aren't engaging for five months. So we'll be able to do a fall to fall comparison. Um, so I know we're utilizing that data right now in buildings. PLCs are looking at that. Um, staffs are looking at that. And we'll be using it to place kids in classrooms come this fall. But Dan, can you talk specifically about the contracts since you work with that? Well, I, I would say on the front side, we have not yet engaged in that conversation at least at, at least to any depth um but um but we have had conversations about what uh, uh remote administration remote test administration might look like or could look look like uh that one of the challenges in there of course is is um is it, it is a is a proctored exam so um you know not every student has has the same level of supervision um but it's certainly a, a question that that um that I can look more deeply into here as as we're as we're moving toward the fall. Um, most definitely, if we're not able to utilize the product, um, then then yes, we would be we would be pursuing some um, um, some remediation for that. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're utilizing it anyway in in different ways other than just giving the test to the students. But you're able the PLCs and the staffs are able to look at the information and. and it, Hopefully, we're able to uh, use it in the fall and compare fall and fall, and that would be good data for kids. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any further questions? Okay, hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Are there any nays? All right, item passes 7 0. Um, moving to 5.8. Uh, approval of the Corwin Deep Equity Contract for Staff Professional Development that we received a presentation on earlier. 
I'll seek move, that motion. Move approval. Good Thank work. you. Thank you, Ms. Clipburn. Is there a second? Or Ms. Go ahead. I did not catch who made that second. Borkman, <laughs> second. Okay, Ms. Borkman, thank you. Um, I can open it up for discussion if anybody wanted to discuss or had any further comments on this item. I had one remaining question, which is I wanted to, for some reason I have it in my head that this is a two-year training effort. Is this, am I right that this is the second of a two-year contract and that we don't anticipate further after that? Or is this right. one of them? So yeah, great question. So when we negotiated contract originally, uh, we, we just are completing year one. This is for year two, and then there'll be a third year. And all of it is designed to scaffold to where we can get a train a trainer model going for our nearly uh, 3,500 to 3,000 to 4,000 employees. So it's, it's, it's designed to build a sustainable strategy. Now, we, we may use them beyond that third year, but that will be determined uh, when we get to that point to see whether or not additional supports are needed. But this is for year two. Thank you. Are there any further questions? Okay, hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Are there any nays? All right, item passes 7-0. Moving on to 5.9, approval of the purchase of Panorama Education Platform for students. I'll seek the motion to approve. Moved by Hembry. Thank you, Ms. Hembry. And the second? I'll second Sinclair. Oh, Thank, go ahead. You. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Um, I can open this one up for discussion as well. Does anybody have any comments or questions on this before we vote on it? Okay, hearing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? None opposed, the item passes 7-0. Wow, that was a long meeting. All right, down to item 6.1, comments from board members. So I'll just run through our list to make sure I don't miss anybody. Um, I'll start with Dr. Sinclair. Do you have any comments for this evening? Uh, I would like to thank the members of the um, Finance and Facilities Committee for um, pushing through that first attempt and, and rallying and meeting on our um, the following day. And I really appreciate the, uh, all the work this group um, is willing to invest and I look forward to our meeting tomorrow at two o'clock. Great, uh, Ms. Goodburn, do you have any comments this evening? I do not. Okay, I did see that you were famous that your tweet was on that show celebrating our marathon runner. <laughs> Yeah, that, I woke up to that this morning. I did tweet that out, and uh, who knew in, in a million years that that would actually make some good news. So, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> Ms. Embry, do you have any comments for this evening? I was just going to take a moment and thank all of our building level leaders throughout the district. I think in this continuous learning environment, we're having tons of interactions in our home with our own teachers, and it's easy to forget that there's a whole network of principals and administrators behind them. So I particularly want to thank the principals right now at our building. Um, Todd Dane at Shawnee Mission South delivered 400 yard signs all in one afternoon. I think he had some helpers. I know we've all had to deliver yard signs with all, and, and I think he had to have had some helpers to do 400, but um, I think those little things that our principals are doing to make this time special for our seniors is so much appreciated. Thank you. Ms. Boardman, do you have any comments for this evening? 
Yeah, just a couple shout outs. Um, Dr. Fulton, did I hear you correctly um, in saying that we have, Shawnee Mission has given out over 91,000 meals? We have. Okay, well, um, I just wanted to give a huge shout out to Nancy Kokenauer and just tell her phenomenal job um, with all you've done. That is a lot of meals and you've done it all um, safely. And we really appreciate the fact that you are meeting kids um, uh, where they're at. And we thank you for all of your efforts and that. Um, I also wanna thank the janitors. Um, I learned at the Trail Ridge Site Council meeting last week that um, the janitors are spending hours upon hours after anyone goes into a certain room, they have to completely disinfect that space. And um, they're just doing a phenomenal job of trying to keep all of our staff safe um, who have to be in buildings periodically. So thank you to our janitors. Um, and then also just my hat is off to our Kansas Teacher of the Year representatives. Um, you're amazing leaders and amazing educators, and we thank you for all the work you've done um, to impact children. So that's it. Thank you. Um, Mr. Stratton, do you have any comments, closing comments tonight? Uh, just a reminder that uh, tomorrow too is the Finance and Facilities uh, meeting. There'll be a lot of really good information uh, presented and uh, all board members certainly can sit in and observe as well as the public. That's all. Thank you. Reverend Guy and your closing remarks for this evening. Uh, I just also wanna speak to the, the seniors and I know this has been such a rough time to uh, have to let go of so many plans and expectations. And I noticed as I was clearing out my calendar for May, um, I had the graduation date still scheduled in there because of course the Board of Education, one of our most favorite things to do is to be at the graduation ceremonies and to shake the hands of the graduates as they cross the stage. And so um, I refuse to cancel those out of my May calendar, even though I know they're not gonna happen. I just keep them there as a reminder of you know what could have been and what should have been. And um, so seniors, I just want you to know we're thinking about you and in a very small way, we are grieving too, because that is such a special celebration for us to get to be a part of. And we're hoping fervently that we'll get to do it with you in July and um, get to shake your hand and celebrate with your families because we are so proud of your accomplishments. And um, so we'll we'll be thinking of you in May as those days come and go, but looking forward to whatever kind of celebration we can have with you later. That's all I have. Thank you, Reverend Guy. Um, I think my comments are just out to our fellow parents this evening, um, you know, it's we're entering the fifth week of online learning at home. Maybe it's the fourth week, honestly, at this point, time is- 105th. Yeah, <laughs> meaningless, I don't know where we're at. Um, but I know that there are a lot of parents out there that are making sure that their kiddo has a place to work and connect with their teachers and to try and navigate the technology and um, ensure continuous learning is happening at home. It truly is a partnership right now. Um, and I, I know how much more work it is. Um, and so I just wanted to say we appreciate you as well. This is a team effort and um, your work is not unnoticed and we appreciate it. Um, so with that being said, 
I'm going to have Dr. Sinclair um, make a motion for us to enter into executive session um, to discuss a legal matter. And if we can get, you know, 10 minutes maybe between now and when the executive start um, navigate the technology to get from the one meeting to the other, that would be great, Dr. Sinclair. Okay, I move we go into executive session to discuss legal matters with our legal counsel pursuant to the exception for matters which would be deemed privileged in the attorney-client relationship under COMA. And the board will reconvene. I, I'm not sure how much time we need. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. So if we, let's see. 30 minutes. If we take a 10 minute break, get back together at 845 and then we meet till 915. Correct? Second. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the motion. Thank you for the second. Mr. Stratton, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Aye. Oh. That was an aye, right, Ms. Goodburn? Yeah, sorry. My was on mute, so I had to switch it off. <laughs> no worries. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Are there any opposed? Okay, hearing none, that motion passes 7 0, and see you all in 10 minutes. All right, okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay.